Hey, everybody, if you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com stuff right now, and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code STUFF, and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there, and there's Jerry, and this is Stuff You Should Know About Dyslexia. How are you doing? Good. Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. Just, uh, you know, hanging out over here. Yeah? Ready to wrap. <laughs> I thought this was pretty cool. I, I'm surprised that we had not discussed this yet, because it's right up our alley. Totally. Very Stuff You Should Know type show. Yeah. Um, and I think it's an interesting, uh, you know, I, I guess it's labeled a learning disorder. Most most definitely. It's a specific learning disorder, according to the U.S. government. Yeah, I always just have a hard time, what, you know, knowing whether or not to, like I almost said affliction. Then I'm like, is that an affliction? I don't even know. I think it's, I think anybody with dyslexia and anybody, any expert in the field would say it's a learning disability. It's a okay. specific learning disability that, um, that we're not entirely certain what causes it, mm-hmm. but most people would tell you that typically it's considered a neurobiological condition. They think that there's a basis to the brain mm-hmm. that leads to this situation where otherwise um, bright and um, capable, and, yep, and intelligent students have what they call unexpected difficulty learning to read. And that it afflicts them their entire life. Yeah. But there's a lot of questions that surround that definition. And one of the problems with dyslexia research is that that's that's not the official definition. There's about as many definitions as there are studies of dyslexia. Yeah, this one from Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity made sense to me, though, as far Mm -hmm. as just sort of a simple way to say it. Uh, An unexpected difficulty in reading in an individual who has the intelligence to be a much better reader. Right. So in other words, like this isn't adding up. All all the tools are there, um, and you should be a better reader than you are. Right. But you're not. So why? What gives? Yeah. So there's um there's there's a lot to that though, right? Like there's this idea that if if we know enough about the brain and we have things like MRIs and stuff like that. So you would think that by now, since maybe the 90s or whatever, we would have positively identified what it is. But there's a confounding problem that they've run into in dyslexia research, and we'll get into it more later. But 
they haven't figured out if what they're looking at is the changes that would come from not reading as much. Um, right. Or if the, the brain structure they're seeing is actually dyslexia. Right. So they're having trouble with it. I'll explain it better later. No, but I know what you mean. Well, good, as long as you do. But it also counts <laughs> if, like, the million or so people listening to this also do. Uh, hey, everybody. Dyslexia is very um, – studying it and understanding it and um, learning how to teach uh, children with dyslexia is very important because mm-hmm. – up until semi-recently, I'm just going to go say recently, <laughs> right. if you were uh, had dyslexia and you were a student, um, you might have been called stupid or dumb. And you might By have the been, teacher. Yeah, you might have been put at uh, a separate table mm-hmm. and said, well, you go over here because we you can't keep up. Um, th- this one guy, man, this one really hit home. Yeah. Or not hit home, but. Um, hit you in the bread basket. In the bread basket, which is like home. Sure. Um, pull it. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winner Philip Schultz uh, was diagnosed later in life, and he said growing up in the 1950s, he he said basically he was placed in what he called the dummy class. Uh, Three children in his class were separated, put at a table in the corner. The teacher didn't talk to them much. And essentially uh, one day, like the principal was coming around, and she said, here are these books. uh, Pretend to read them. Right. The principal's coming. Yeah, man. That is just tough. But there's stuff. something really significant about that. That that was a column written by a guy named Philip Schultz, mm-hmm. who was a Pulitzer Prize winner. Yeah. So that really kind of reveals the fact <laughs> that what they figured out through decades and decades of research is that people with dyslexia aren't stupid. Mm-hmm. They specifically have trouble learning to read and spell and write. Yeah. And more and more research has kind of gotten to the root of the the problems with dyslexia. But we have found that with patience and practice, people with dyslexia can learn to read. You have dyslexia your entire life. Yeah. There's no cure for it. Right. But you can learn to read and you can learn to uh, navigate and cope with dyslexia as a child and into adulthood. Yeah, and I don't want to – I certainly don't want to sound like I'm bagging on teachers because, you know, both of my parents were teachers and uh, even back in the day when, you know – let me just say this. uh, (laughs) Teachers back then didn't have the same tools that they have today. And they they didn't have an understanding of dyslexia. So right. if they had students that weren't keeping up and uh, would force the class to maybe lag behind, they may not have made the best decisions, but they didn't have all the tools at their disposal to make better decisions. Right. The presence of a kid with dyslexia in a class creates a conundrum. Do you slow the class down to that kid's speed? Mm-hmm. And um, as far as like reading and spelling and writing lessons go. Right. Um uh, potentially risking like slowing down the rest of the class who are learning at a normal clip mm-hmm. or do you take this guy with dyslexia or this girl with dyslexia and put them in a special needs class right that may address their reading and writing but they're going to get so far behind their classmates in every other um, subject that they're normally proficient at right it's a problem and they had no idea how to how to grapple with, with it for almost all of the 20th century and multiple generations of kids with dyslexia suffered as a result yeah it, it's really sad um, mm-hmm. there are a lot of symptoms uh, for dyslexia key symptoms uh, and these are very important because there is no blood test there is no there's no 
even, I mean, there are a lot of testing they can do, but that there's no standardized specific tests that will really nail it down. Right. So, so keep that in mind. There's no, there's no official definition of dyslexia. Yeah. And there's no specific test to uh, suss out dyslexia. Right. Two big problems. Yeah. So you got to look at this collection of symptoms. Um, the first obvious one is slow reading, inaccurate reading, uh, difficulty sounding out words, um, difficulty pronouncing longer words with multiple syllables, mm-hmm. which we'll get to that in a bit. Um, inability to read or speak made-up nonsense words, which I thought was interesting. Uh, poor short-term memory for verbal information, whether it's written or spoke, uh, spoken. Mm-hmm. Uh, poor spelling, like really poor spelling to where you sometimes can't even tell what the words they're trying to spell are. Right, not not just like a, you know, mis- like using an F instead of a PH or something like that. Yeah, and we should also point out too that it is, it's very mm-hmm. much an incorrect notion that if you have dyslexia, you, you just transpose letters or spell things backwards. That's what I thought for most of my life. Yeah. That dyslexia was people, they, they spelled things backwards and that was that. And that they also read backwards and that they could train themselves to read it, things backwards. Right. Totally made up. I mean, it's not totally made up, but it's so such a such a just a one component yeah. of dyslexia that it, it might as well just be an urban legend. Yeah, totally. Um, and then what this can lead to, it's not just like, oh, I have trouble reading like that. That spills out into all aspects of life, uh, whether it's your self-esteem mm-hmm. or you might have problem uh, with with directions uh, directionally. You might have issue with your budgets or money items, or you might not can tell time uh, very well. Frustrated, anger, difficulty planning things. Right. It's not just limited to reading issues. And then in real life, you um, you might read something and have very little recollection of what you just read. Um, you, uh, you will probably have problems giving presentations, finding the right word, recalling words, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, when you do read and when you learn to read, you will be reading slower than anybody else, even reading at your reading level. Um, you just do it more slowly. Yeah. And then as an adult, a lot of people are like, oh, good God, I'm done with school. Let me just go off and find a job that doesn't require any reading or any writing. And I will be fine. I will go to restaurants and order the same thing at every restaurant. Yeah. And um, if this routine that I've developed to mask my dyslexia is ever interrupted, I will flip out and try to keep it under control. But I will seem a little awkward socially right. during instances like this. There's ways you can carve out a life for uh-huh. yourself. But you don't have to because now we understand dyslexia way more than we did before. And we understand the treatment of it, too. Yeah, and as far as how many people have it, it's it's tough to get um, because of all these reasons we're talking about. Tough to get a good number that's reliable, but anywhere between five and fifteen to seventeen percent, it looks like, um, which is sort of no, well, it's not the biggest range in the world, but they don't really know. No, they have they have no idea because there's a couple of problems. One, there's a lot of people out there who don't realize they have d- dyslexia, mm-hmm. um, and then there's a lot of people who do know they have dyslexia and are either ashamed of it or have just set up their life to where they don't have time or room to go f- be diagnosed and then go learn right. to overcome it. They're just like, whatever, I I have this thing, this issue, or I'm slower at reading than right. other people. Um, so, yeah, it's probably very much underreported and underestimated how many people in the population have it. Yeah, and we're talking mainly about uh, <clears throat> almost exclusively about developmental dyslexia, uh, which is, you know, 
the kind we mostly think about. We're not talking about acquired dyslexia, which is can happen as a result of an injury. Right. Um, so just want to point that out. Well, let's take a break, and then we'll, we'll come back and talk about the history that actually features both of those. Okay? Yes, sir. All right. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey everybody, we're here to tell you about Viator, a tool that you can use to plan and book travel experiences around the world. That's right. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000 plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Yep, Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 300,000 plus travel experiences to choose from means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. That's right. You can also enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been on the experience that you're considering. Plus, you get free cancellation that helps you plan for the unexpected. Yeah, and Viator offers 24-7 customer service, so you know you'll get support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So, Chuck, the first time the word dyslexia was used was in 1872 Mm -hmm. by an ophthalmologist named Rudolf Berlin who coined the term dyslexia. But the case that he was describing was a case of acquired dyslexia. Right. Where you can uh, you can develop the symptoms of dyslexia, trouble reading, trouble writing, trouble um, sounding out words from a head injury or, say, a lesion on your brain, something like that. Yeah. And that told them a lot, right? It really – initially they thought maybe it was just a, a sign of low intelligence. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a problem with vision or something like that. But the fact that you could acquire dyslexia told um, neurologists and ophthalmologists working in the 19th century, no, this is a, this is a, there's a neurobiological basis to this. Yeah, and they called it early on um, in the 19th century and I guess even in the early 20th century. Well, actually, they called it that up until the— The 60s. Yeah, the 60s, um, word blindness. And they, it was a German who, uh, who coined that term— 
and they called it Vort Blindheit. Can you say that? <laughs> that's good. Okay. You you would do it way better than me. Well, I would put on some dumb voice, but that's perfect pronunciation. Okay. You said that it's a W, right? Yeah. And you said it is a V. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> I check. didn't click my heels together when it, I said it. It, che- it checks out, <laughs> Dorothy. Um, so they called it, like you said, up into the 60s, congenital word blindness. Uh, there were a lot of people in the late 1800s, or not a lot, but a handful of people studying this stuff. Yeah, Hinshelwood and Morgan were the two big ones. Yeah, and they were uh, ophthalmologists and a doctor. Um, Hinshelwood was the ophthalmologist. And they, and then there were also neurologists, a man named Samuel Orton. And uh, they, they, it's interesting to look back because – it, they were sort of on the right track with how they what they thought was wrong. Yeah, word blindness also as a term is not that not that far off. Yeah, I mean it really does a good job That's describing good the thing because they're saying like there's some condition that these people have specifically because they're otherwise totally intelligent. They're just they have a problem with words, with seeing words and recognizing them yeah. like everybody else can. Yeah, and it was. Obviously, since the dawn of time, uh, people have had this condition, but it didn't – obviously, if you think about it, there are a lot of things that came along that really brought it into the forefront, yeah. like printing. World widespread literacy. Yeah, newspapers and books and street yep, signs. Exactly. And menus, like you were saying, in a restaurant. Yeah. Like, and like everywhere there's the printed word. And all of this – as all of this started to emerge in like the second half of the 19th century, at least in the United States and in the West and Europe um, – all of a sudden, people who had dyslexia suddenly became apparent. Mm-hmm. Whereas before this, it wouldn't have been apparent because there was no way for dyslexia to manifest itself. Right. People didn't walk around reading. You weren't expected to learn to read and write as a kid. Yeah. You had to be like basically a monk to to learn to read and write or part of like the aristocracy. Now it became democratized and public schooling became widespread. And so as a result, dyslexia became a thing for the very first time. It's a, actually a, a relatively new condition that was born out of the modern era. Yeah, or if you were a kid back then and you uh, they were trying to teach you to read and you couldn't, you were, you were just, they were like, all right, well, I guess he's not a reader. Right. So, but, so get out to the factory of the field. Right. And don't worry about it. But the, uh, the that was what Morgan, like W. Pringle Morgan and James Hinchelwood were doing was they were the first ones to say, wait, 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 get that kid out of the field because he seems otherwise bright to me. Right. He just is having trouble reading. This might just be a thing. Yeah. So they were the first ones to say, no, this is its own thing. This isn't just being a, being generally slow. Right. This is a specific learning disability. Right. Uh, Samuel Orton, the neurologist I mentioned, he created... Uh, the Orton Society in 1949, um, they were researchers and teachers uh, trying to figure out, like, all right, we know this is a problem. Now, how do we go about teaching kids like this? Mm-hmm. And that eventually led to the International Dyslexia Association. Um, but it really took until, the like, the 1970s. Uh, there was a book written by McDonald Critchley called The Dyslexic Child. Mm-hmm. And that's when things really started to come to the forefront more. Yeah, they started to realize, oh, wait, you can teach uh, kids with dyslexia how to read. So maybe we should start doing that. Right. And here are, here are the symptoms and the signs of dyslexia. And let's, let's take it seriously in the general education system. Yeah, and one of the interesting things that they learned, uh, they have learned over the years, is part of the problem, at least in the case of English, is that it's a, 
really tough language to learn. Extraordinarily tough. And it matters. If you have dyslexia, when compared to Italian, it says English has over a thousand ways to spell its basic set of 40 uh, phonological sounds. Italian has 25 speech sounds, speech sounds mm-hmm. and only 33 ways to spell them. So incidences of dyslexia, while they may be the same technically in Italy, kids don't have as much of a problem in Italy. Yeah. Like, think about this. So the the short E sound, eh, eh. you can spell it uh, A-I as in said, E-O as in leopard, mm-hmm. U as in berry, I-E as in friend. Yeah. Okay. English is so tough. It is tough. But what you're doing is when you're, when you're spelling those things, you're, you're, encoding a sound, a phoneme is what it's called, right? And like you said, in English, we have 40 phonemes. And when you spell, when you read, you're encoding and decoding Mm -hmm. a phoneme, and we have attached phonemes onto specific things out in real life. Leopard, right? Mm -hmm. If you can spell leopard, you can write down that word, and you can create a leopard in somebody else's mind's eye by reading it. Right. Okay? This is all spectacular that we can do this, but it's a totally human construct. Uh-huh. If you have dyslexia, you're the ground problem that that is the basis of your condition is you have trouble sorting through phonemes. Yeah. You have trouble um, with what's called phonological awareness where you hear l and pard right. as two separate Dis- distinct sounds mm-hmm. that you can learn to spell and learn to write. You you can't sort them. Sometimes they they run together. Uh-huh. It's a it's a problem on the very basis of reading, writing, spelling. Mm-hmm. It, the uh, phonology. You have yeah. trouble. Your brain has trouble processing it and sorting it. That's the basis of dyslexia. So if you are a, a kid with dyslexia in in learning English with as difficult as it is, where there's yeah. all these different rules for the same phoneme, it's going to be way harder than it is in something like Italian, like you were saying. Yeah, and as a result, as you would imagine, uh, learning a second language, mm-hmm. if you have dyslexia, is really tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have found that Italian ha- is, is can almost be like a therapy. A training, like training yeah. camp for learning. It's really interesting. Yeah, because you learn, oh, there's rules with certain things, right. but these are really basic rules right, and they right. make sense. So maybe now I can learn English um, a little more easily with the expectation that the rules are structurally the same, but they're uh-huh. just different for English than they are for Italian in nuance. But ultimately, they're getting across the same stuff. Yeah, the, the whole concept of language and <clears throat> um, uh, and symbols, uh, e letters mm-hmm. and words. Right. It's just fascinating to me, endlessly fascinating. Yeah, because again, I don't want to like, harp on the humans on this. like creating this and saying that thing over there. If you draw these symbols in this order, huh? that's what that is. See that leopard, like that's and then the word leopard, like yeah, it's just all fascinating. It to is me. because you're encapsulating knowledge that can be shared later on, can be unlocked later on by right. anyone who understands how to decode it in in the same way. Yeah, what's the the science? Uh, what was it called when you study that? Linguistics. Is it just linguistics? I'm pretty sure. I could have been a linguist. Oh, yeah? If I had only known what it was called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized halfway through that what a dumb dumb I sounded like. What's that thing called? That yeah, I could have been good at that. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't. It was on the tip of my tongue. So um, I guess we can talk about the, the fMRI and the MRI, obviously. 
The Wonder Machine figures in pretty big mm-hmm. when it comes to this kind of thing. Yeah. And in the mid-90s is about when the fMRI came on the scene with uh, dyslexia and studies with dyslexia. Uh, once they, One of the problems was uh, little kids, you know, like, oh, we can't throw them in there. Mm-hmm. That thing will explode their brain. And then they're like, oh, no, the fMRI machine is fine for kids. We tested it out on some bad kids, <laughs> right. and they were fine. <laughs> and so they started putting children in there because um, you, you could obviously do this at any age, but it's important for school-age children um, to, like, figure out what's going on in their brains. Well, that's one of the reasons why that's the sample population is because it takes years for dyslexia to be prominent. Right. Every kid has problems learning reading and writing at first. Sure. But then as other kids progress, and this one kid doesn't, but they're otherwise bright, same socioeconomic opportunities and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. um, that's when it becomes possible that they have dyslexia. But by that time, a couple more years have gone by. Right. Right? Yeah. So you're you're not testing for dyslexia on babies. Right. You have to wait until it basically manifests itself. Yeah, and of course, with the fMRI, they I think there was some hope that it could, like you mentioned earlier, just be like, well, there it is. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't as they, you know, different regions of the brain would light up or not light up. But mm-hmm. they, they didn't get any hard, like, pinpointing conclusions. No, they have kind of focused in on a few spots. Like, different studies have said, this is what we found, and it actually correlates with other right. studies, too. There's um, left hemisphere areas. The ventral occipitotemporal region, the temporoparietal region, and the inferior frontal cortices, which have to do with language processing, yeah. but also visual processing of language, too. Yeah. So, again, they think that the basis of all of this is that when you're hearing sounds, when somebody's holding up a piece of bread that has been dried through heat and says, <laughs> toast, you're hearing to. Yeah. And you can learn to write T-O-A, it's a little confounding, Sure, and then S-T over time. Maybe the first few times you write T-O-E-S-T. It doesn't matter. You're going to learn to write T-O-A-S-T, and you can write it down, and then someone else can read it, and they think of toast. Right. With dyslexia, you're not hearing toast, you're, you're, you, and you certainly can't extrapolate something that you're not hearing correctly into words yeah. and letters. Yeah, yeah. Okay? That's a good way to put it. The this, toast analogy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, there is a genetic component. Um, you are likely, if you have dyslexia, to also have other family members who have it, and they have isolated some genes associated with it. But, mm-hmm. again, they haven't been like, here's the cause. Let's just figure out how to switch this gene off or on. Right. And it's, I think it's just correlated. It's not necessarily the, the cause. It's it's yeah. like people who who have been shown to have dyslexia have these this, this set of genes that are doing this. Yeah, but what like I said earlier, what's interesting is those early doctors weren't super far off. <laughs> yeah, uh, it does have to do with visual processing of this uh, linguistic information. And they were on the right track even way back then. Mm-hmm. So not bad. And then even still, though, with this new understanding of like, okay, this brain region looks like this. This brain region looks like that. This is the sign of a, a, the, a dyslexic brain. Mm-hmm. There's still the question, is this the result of going years and years without reading? Right. Um, or is that the structure of a brain with dyslexia? 
Right. Because we know that your brain changes when you read, mm-hmm. when you learn to read. They, they've done studies in the MRI with um, illiterate adults uh-huh. who have learned to read. So they do a scan of them while, while they uh, cannot read, and then they scan them again while they can read and then look for differences in the brain. Mm-hmm. And there are structural differences that take place in the brain. Right. Which makes sense because it makes you think – so an illiterate adult, is that the normal structure of the brain? And an adult that can read, is that an abnormal structure? Mm-hmm. Because think about it. We've only been doing that for 100, 150 years. Yeah, that's a, good that's point. a new construct. Yeah. So it makes sense that the brain would be neuroplastic like that in that respect because that's a new thing we've all started to try to do to alter our brains. Yeah, and that's where the practice part comes in, which we'll get to more. But it's interesting that – and it sounds simple, but the better th- – if you have dyslexia, the better you get at reading and writing, the better you will get at reading and writing. Exactly. You're you're just um, you're strengthening. You're yeah. creating new neural connections and yep. then strengthening those pathways. Yeah. And the fact that it all comes down to apparently patience and practice, mm-hmm. and that like it's saying like these kids with dyslexia are going through the same thing that every kid does with with learning to read and write and mm-hmm. spell. It just takes them way longer. Yeah. The fact that generations of kids with dyslexia were just abandoned by the school system because yeah. of a lack of patience is really what it comes down to mm-hmm. is beyond sad to yeah. me. Patience and resources, I think. and That's part of it, sure. Yeah. I just don't want to sound like we're saying, like, mm-hmm. teachers just were impatient about it all. Right. It's like uh, it was complex and still very sad. Yes. Uh, uh, the fact still, that, that teachers have to buy their own school supplies still gets to me every year. Yeah. The fact that we're, like, living with this as a country, like, that's just become normal to us. Right. Is, it's embarrassing. Yeah. It's just a, a mark of shame on our country, if you ask me. All right. Let's take a break. No. I'm going to go uh, – I'm going to give you your cat of nine tails so we can flog each other. I realize I'm, I sound really forceful in this episode. Do I feel like I'm sounding forceful. Do I sound forceful? No, I think you're great. Do I? <laughs> well, that did. Okay. All right. We'll be right back, everyone. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey there, everybody. Here's some bonus stuff you should know. This time it's about traveling to Orlando for business. Orlando has tons of places to host your conferences and meetings. Dr. Michael Edwards, CEO of Ocean Insight, said it best. 
Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when the day is done, you can kick off each evening at one of 46 Michelin-rated restaurants. What's not to love? So check out Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. All right. So like you said earlier, there is no uh, cure for dyslexia. There is uh, treatment, and they even put that in quotes. Um, but it, you shouldn't think of it as a disease cure type of thing. No, no. Uh, it's uh, practice have, and patience. You have it for life. Yeah, and those are the two strategies that we will say it one more time for the tenth time: <laughs> patience and practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you have to have that patience there as a parent, <clears throat> as a teacher, as someone with dyslexia. Um, I know it's frustrating, but uh, the more patient you are, give yourself time. Teachers can, and there are programs now where students can get extra time to take tests right. and things like that. And oh yeah, I think even officially, like with the SAT and stuff like that. Oh yeah, um, there are programs uh-huh. where you are not to put it at a disadvantage. There's um, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Improvement Act of 2004, the IDEA Act, yeah, or IDEA. Um, it it specifies uh, dyslexia as a specific learning disorder. And when you have a diagnosis of dyslexia, the whole world opens up to you. You all of a sudden have your own personal teacher's assistant working with you. Hopefully. Um, you yeah. have all sorts of resources that just weren't available to you before that are being funneled directly toward helping you learn to read faster. Yeah, I wonder if that's across the board um, yeah, I think that schools probably have specific funding for idea yeah. stuff. I mean, like when, when Congress comes up with an act like that, they fund it. And then they fund it out of it. Like those huge omnibus budgets have funding for that. Right. And then that goes to the school. And schools supposedly not allowed to spend it on anything but that stuff. Gotcha. So, yeah, probably if you get a diagnosis of dyslexia, it's pretty sweet. Um, and a huge relief right? because all of a sudden it's just like a, a brand new world. You're taken away from the dumb kids table like Howard Schultz was. Right. Um, and all of a sudden you have your own, your own one-on-one um, reading and, and, and spelling right. lessons that you just didn't have before. Yeah. Uh, the other, like we said, is practice. Uh, and over time, you know, you can learn to read. Um, and you make those new neural pathways, and and it just it's, it's heartening to know that if you have this patience and you put in the time, mm-hmm. it is something that can be overcome if everyone like works together. Right, and, and if you can learn to read, even as an adult, you're you're not going to learn to read necessarily proficiently. I think you can if you really really practice, if you mm-hmm. put your mind to it. It's going to be very slow, but it's not like you'll never read a book or something like that. Yeah. But I saw one woman describing her condition as an adult, and she said she was very proud to be at like a seventh grade reading level right. now as a, as an adult, which is like you can navigate through life as with a seventh grade at a seventh grade reading level pretty easy. Right. Um, the problem comes when you don't ever, you've never gotten any help and you mm. are basically uh, an illiterate adult um, because of dyslexia. Yeah, they have, uh, technology now can help out. There are uh, what they call assistive listening devices because sometimes 
if you have someone in your ear reading something out loud while you're reading along, mm-hmm. um, sort of like a, a teacher in an app, mm-hmm. um, like that one-on-one experience that can really, really help. Um, seeing a transcription sometimes yeah. of what someone's saying can like really a real, help. a real-time transcription. Yeah. Yeah. So all these apps and devices are really helping things along these oh, it's, days. Oh, it's like a brand new world for kids with dyslexia compared to like last century. Oh, yeah. Or even a few decades ago, you know? Yeah, the one thing I didn't quite get was this thing that you sent from Sir Jim Rose. I didn't fully get what this well, guy was saying. He was part of it. So he's not saying this. He's he's uh, he's definitely uh, all into dyslexia. Um, but there is a a thread um, that of of experts mm-hmm. in childhood education, psychology, um, childhood cognition, who who suspect that there's no such thing as dyslexia. Really? That those earliest neurologists and ophthalmologists and doctors who who named it and made it a thing uh-huh. were wrong. And that really an inability to read transcends any level of intelligence. It's disconnected from intelligence. Uh-huh. That no matter whether you are of high intelligence or low intelligence, you can suffer from an inability to learn to read. Right. And so if you have dyslexia and you are of high intelligence, the kid next to you who has low intelligence and can't read also has dyslexia. Or uh, there's or else no one has dyslexia gotcha. and it's just an inability to learn to read. Huh. Most experts say dyslexia is a thing. Sure. Which means then the debate is, okay, does it have anything to do with intelligence? Right. And if it doesn't have anything to do with intelligence, then all of these resources that are being diverted to these kids who are of high intelligence but are having trouble learning to read mm-hmm. is really doing a disservice to the kids of low intelligence. And I'm making air quotes here, everybody. Yeah. Um, who are having trouble learning to read. Gotcha, but does not Why differentiate? Yeah. They're both having trouble learning to read. Right. Start attacking the problem with both of them. And right. there was this one Australian... Um, expert who basically said, like, yes, dyslexia is a thing. It is its own thing. It has a neurobiological basis. It's not made up. It's not a myth. But let's treat first and then diagnose later. Right. If you see an um, a, an inability to learn to read, mm-hmm. go after that. Don't say, well, is it dyslexia? Let's test the kid's intelligence. Right. It let's doesn't just matter. Try and help. Focus on learning how and yeah. teaching them how to read. Interesting. And apparently, interventions. There's this guy named. Uh, Julian, Professor Julian, um, what's his name, Chuck? Lennon? <laughs> Sands? Yes, Julian Sands. In Boxing Helena, he makes <laughs> he has a big soliloquy about whether or not dyslexia is a myth. <laughs> uh, I can't remember the guy's last name, but um, I get the impression that parents of children with dyslexia are not a big fan of this guy. Right. But he's, he's basically said... Um, we're diverting a lot of funding away from kids who know how to who don't know how to read just because they don't they supposedly don't have a high IQ. Right. Um, let's treat all the kids. So that's the idea of whether it's a myth. Not that dyslexia doesn't exist, uh-huh. although I think some people suspected it didn't for a while. Right. Now people believe it does, but not necessarily that it's just intelligent upper middle class kids who have dyslexia. Right. It's it just an inability to read for the same reason. Interesting. That's the basis of it. It's still up in the air and it's a really touchy subject. Yeah, yeah. Very touchy subject. For sure. Um and rightfully so. I yeah. mean like 
I, I can imagine you feel lost in the woods if there's no official diagnosis, there's no official test of it, there's no official definition of it, but your kid has it and you know your kid has it. Yeah. I can't imagine what it must feel like to have some expert going like, there's no such thing as dyslexia. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Thanks it, a lot. It is very touchy and rightfully so. Uh, well, finally, there's this whole notion that um, if you have dyslexia, then you may excel in other areas. Um, you may be more creative or you may be more prone to be like um, an entrepreneur, perhaps. Yeah, because um, you think outside of the box. Yeah, I mean, there's a long list of people uh, like, uh, you know, famous creative types that have dyslexia. Agatha Christie. Did you know that one? I didn't, but... I didn't either. That, you know... I that, didn't just make it up. I learned It's a long list. <laughs> but just recently. Part of this bugs me, though. I don't know. I just hate it when they're like, well, look what celebrities have this thing. I mean, I get it maybe that it might... I don't know. I just don't see the value in that. Well, it's saying like, look at this guy. This guy, this lady made Maybe. It. I guess so. She's not a street sweeper. You don't have to spend, you don't have to look forward to a life of shoveling horse manure because you have dyslexia. You can't achieve. Just stick to it, kid. No, I get all that. And that's valid. Oh, I, you're questioning the cult of celebrity? Yeah, that's yeah, what I'm I was, like, that just sort of bugs me. But no, there is benefits. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if some kid was like, Tom Cruise has dyslexia. Right. And look at him. I have had some questions about Xanax and its value myself. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Uh, There have been some studies, though, over the years that may or may not support this. Like, um, supposedly, if you have dyslexia, you may be um, quicker to find um, something in your peripheral vision. Maybe you can, like M.C. Escher-style drawings or the impossible Mm -hmm. images, hidden images, you might see those quicker yeah. or more easily. Find patterns in, in noise. Sure. Like you could be a great data analyst, perhaps. And they think like, and this makes total sense, but the problem is, is it's anecdotal at this point. Right. But it makes total sense that, yes, you're, you're the, the same senses that you are using to read and write, if you don't know how to read and write, your brain's going to compensate with other things. It's going to possibly excel at other stuff right? just because it's structured different. If your brain is structured differently, which we know that's the case, uh-huh. if you um, do not read or write, uh, you would expect that it would manifest itself in real-world behaviors and traits. Well, yeah, and the first thing I thought is like, yeah, totally. Like if you're vision impaired, you, you hear things better. Well, supposedly that's a myth. Well, I looked it up. Um, there are studies where if you are vision impaired, you are better at – pinpointing like location of sound mm. and certain sounds, but it's not as... You can't hear something two miles away. Yeah, it's not as cut and dry. It's just you like can't hear you something. hear better because yeah. like your ears develop better. You know, you remember that guy who can echolocate? He's uh, visually impaired and he's like... I don't know. He uses clicks or something that. like that, like a bat. He basically taught himself to echolocate. Really? Amazing. The first thing I thought about was uh, the guy with the ear in his arm. What was his name? Stellark. Stellark. (laughs) What's great? Oh, man, I love that. You and I, like, go back and forth on remembering the guy's (laughs) name. Last time we brought him up, I didn't remember his name, and you rattled it right off. Stellark. Between us, Stellark is going to live forever like the transhumanist he is. Uh, But then that last thing about being uh, entrepreneurial or um, maybe a corporate executive, Mm -hmm. they did do a study in 2009 that found there was a – anecdotal evidence of Mm -hmm. Oprah representation in those fields. But then that's a thing, too, where they're like, maybe they were just better at overcoming adversity. Oh, right. And that stayed on through their whole life to where it wasn't just dyslexia, but like 
and nothing would keep them down, so they excelled. Right. They learned how to how to try harder than their peers. Yeah. So, yeah. Even if that is the case, great. Sure. But the point is, is it's still anecdotal, so you have to be careful with saying like, oh, right. yeah, people with dyslexia are way better at this. Right. Or they're they're more likely to be entrepreneurs. It's just the, it's, it hasn't been settled yet. Yeah. Um, but I think the overall point of this episode is if you are, if you do have dyslexia, um, there is plenty of hope. Sure. Do not give up hope, whether that your kid has dyslexia or you have dyslexia. You can learn to read and write and spell, and you can become a Pulitzer Prize winning columnist. Or Agatha Christie. Yep. Or John Irving, I saw, has dyslexia. John Irving? Yeah. Richard Branson. <laughs> that was really good. Ozzy Osbourne. For God's sakes, look at that guy. Sure. Fumbling around the house. He's successful. Yeah. Despite himself. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, if you want to know more about dyslexia, you can learn all about it on the internets. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this Sid and Marty Croft email. This guy wrote in to email us about a personal connection he had to the Schoolhouse Rock episode. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to read that half of the letter because I don't want to further embarrass uh, the family. But his he's... Uh, has a relation to the person that we kind of called out as the the guy who ruined Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> oh, okay. Wasn't he an exec? Yeah. 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 But the second half of this says, uh, mm-hmm. uh, speaking of unbelievable stories, guys, I thought you'd be jealous to know that I grew up hanging out on the sets of all the Sid and Marty Croft shows because my mom was on a bunch of them. I used to have lunch with the Slee Stacks and throw around big foam boulders from Land of the Lost. She was... Uh, Nashville on the Captain Cool and the Kong show, which wrapped around the Saturday morning cartoons. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also that also led to the music group, the Bay City Rollers, showing up to my birthday party. What? When I was like five, it caused such a big mob scene. The police had to come. That's the S A T U R D A Y. You yeah, know how yeah. they got their name? They threw a dart at a map and it landed on Bay City, Michigan. Yeah, because they're like Scottish, aren't they? I think so. I think they are. I remember my sister, uh, we had a babysitter and then my sister and the babysitter, I don't know why my sister wasn't just my babysitter. She was six years older. Uh-huh. There was another girl who babysat that was, was like a basically year younger? my sister's age. Right. And they would sit around, this is my big memory of the Bay City Rollers, They would. there was one of their albums that had each of their pictures sort of in a dartboard-like fashion in a circle. And they would spin the record around and close their eyes and stop it with their finger and, like... They had to make out with that picture? Yeah, they had to, like, kiss that picture or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hope your sister doesn't listen to this. No, it's great, the 70s, man. So innocent. I love the 70s. So, uh, Bay City Rollers came to his birthday party. They called the cops. Uh, She went on, my mom went on to do a ton of cool stuff that I'm sure you guys would know bunch of episodes of Plastic Man. Wow. All the uh, women's voices on Celebrity Deathmatch. Cool. Hosting a game show called Rodeo Drive, playing Joan Rivers on Family Guy. Wow. Being in the Catskills on Broadway. Nice. For two years. Too much more to mention, guys. Except also she went on the road with Tim Conway and Harvey Corman for a number of years. Posing as Carol Burnett. And my little brother ended up engaged to Harvey Corman's daughter. Wow. But it didn't work out. Wow. Anyway, love the show, guys. If I can ever be a resource, let me know. That is from Keith Orell. Keith, that was amazing. You remember Celebrity Deathmatch? Yeah, man. So great. Big shout out to your mom, too. Yeah. And Big ups to your moms, Keith. Yeah. Uh, Well, if you want to brag on your mom because she's done some awesome stuff, we love hearing about that. 
Moms always have great um, welcomeness here at Stuff You Should Know. That's right. That's going to end up being a crummy t-shirt. <laughs> uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can hang out on stuffyoushouldknow.com and check out our social links there. I have a website called thejoshclarkway.com. You can get in touch with me there. And you can get in touch with me, Chuck, and Jerry, and everybody else here at Stuff You Should Know by sending an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month.